right. Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to week three of our series entitled Imperfect, a study in the life of David. Come on. Let's just welcome all those that are joining us, Facebook Live, online, all of our campuses. So excited to have you guys. We are in a four-part series. We're looking at one of my heroes in the Old Testament, David. You know, people ask me, you know, what are the different characters in the Bible that I really, uh, that I really enjoy reading about? Number one in the New Testament, Peter, but I love reading about David. The Bible actually says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. Now, let me qualify, not because he was perfect. As a matter of fact, God used his life in spite of him, not because of him. Let me say that again. God used his life in spite of him, not because of him. It was his heart for God that positioned him before God. Now, I want to talk to you today about how to face insecurity. How did David face insecurity, both within his own life and in the life of someone very close to him? Now, I want to qualify something as well. Some of my messages, uh, I would call them Twinkie messages, you know, Twinkie message, they're just exciting and they're fun. And sometimes they're Brussels sprout messages. How many know what I'm talking about? Listen, Brussels sprout messages, they're good for you. Last week I talked about, man, David and Goliath, and we've got the sling, and man, we're destroying mountains and they're coming down. Today, I'm not talking about destroying the Goliaths on the outside. I want to talk about dealing with the Goliaths on the inside. I want to talk about the issues of our heart, those fears and those insecurities that seek to hold us back from what God created us to be. You know, thinking about insecurity, we all struggle with insecurity. We all at different levels have it. I've said this before as a church many, many, many times. And if you're a guest with us here today, we're so honored to have you. And I guess it's kind of a mantra around here at Church of the King. Here's what I say. I'm not where I want to be. Come on, are y'all with me? We're not where we want to be, but, but we're not where we used to be. In other words, that's Christian growth. In other words, we're not exactly, I mean, by the way, we only get where we want to be when we ultimately die and we go to heaven. But we can grow in Christ. We can grow. And the reality is, is that some of you, listen, we're all on a continuum of insecurity. I'm not talking about insecurity today because based upon the fact that, you know, you're, you're driving in a cliff in Colorado. Ah, I don't want to fall off. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that beguiling sense of emotion when you feel tormented by what other people think about you. You're tormented by it. Matter of fact, and you're insecure and you want to make sure that you're above everybody and that nobody can compete with. Nobody can outshine you. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a boss that I had one time, and I say this respectfully, but he was so insecure. Anybody, listen, anybody that began to perform better than him at work, anybody that potentially made him look bad, man, I tell you, he would systematically deconstruct their world. Why? Because there was something on the inside of him that he felt, watch this, he felt that other success made him look like a failure. Is that something that you struggle with? Can you rejoice When a neighbor does well, can you rejoice when a sibling, a brother, a sister, how about can you rejoice when somebody in your small group or somebody at work and you're working hard and they're working hard and you guys maybe were hired at the same time, but they are getting some more promotions in you. They are moving a little bit ahead of you. How do you respond when other people succeed around you? Now, I want to say this. There are, I would say, three primary people in David's life that shaped his life. Number one, his dad, Jesse. 
We talked about that last week, about his dad, Jesse, and how a father has an impact on a son, albeit good or bad. Number two is Samuel the prophet. God called Samuel the prophet to anoint not just the first, but the second king of Israel, David being the second king. I'm not talking about the influence of Samuel. I want to talk to you about the influence of Saul. The first king of Israel, how Saul's insecurities, watch this, actually helped to shape David's life. How David had to learn to respond to someone in his very own home that was insecure. How did David, one, deal with the insecurity in him? And number two, how did David deal with the insecurity of a man that he worked for? If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, just a little history of King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Matter of fact, when Saul was anointed by Samuel the prophet, the Bible says that God actually had to give a prophetic word to Samuel. And the Bible says that he found Saul, watch this, he found Saul hiding behind luggage. It's, in, it's actually in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 10. That here comes the prophet, he's looking. He's looking to anoint the first king of Israel. And Saul knew that. And the Bible says he actually went hiding. Now, one of you may think, well, you know what? It's because he was humble. No, no, no. It wasn't because he was humble. He was insecure. There's a difference between humility and insecurity. Let me tell you what humility is and what humility is not. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. I'm just a loser. I'm just a worm. I'm not going to mount. No, no, no. That's stupidity. That's not biblical. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Did y'all catch that? In other words, somebody that's truly humble, they're not self-consumed. They're not narcissistic. They're not evaluating their self in light of how everybody perceives them at any given moment. Saul was insecure because he was focused on self. I tell you, it's something that we struggle with today. We all struggle with that. Why? Because we live in a social media craze, albeit some of it is good, some of it is bad. Man, you go to sleep at night, you look at Facebook, and by 10 minutes later, you're just embroiled with anger because you don't have what somebody else has. You're mad at your spouse because why didn't we go on vacation there? Why don't we do that there? You look at their kids. Why? There's something about comparison, an insecure person. Comparison feeds that insecurity. By the way, that's why Paul said, Paul the apostle says, don't compare yourself with one another. Rejoice in God's portion for your life. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves on Facebook with all your friends, that's in the Bible, come on, that's called a Steve James Robinson translation, y'all know what I'm but they measuring themselves, but we all do that. But watch this. We've got to watch it. What you feed, don't miss this. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. What you feed grows. You grow that comparison. You grow that evaluation. You grow that. I'm telling you, let me, you feed it. It grows. It grows. What you feed grows, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. They're not wise. All of us have struggled with insecurity at different points in our lives. I'm talking today about those, those that are tormented by it. I believe that Jesus wants to set us free. 
that we can rejoice in what God's given us. It's not that we're not inspired by others. I can be inspired by other pastors. I can be inspired by great autobiographies or great men and women that I meet. I can be inspired. But to be inspired is a lot different than comparing yourself and comparing your strengths against their weaknesses or your weaknesses against their strengths. By the way, let me tell you a bad marriage. A bad marriage is when you are consistently comparing your strengths against your spouse's weakness and vice versa. See, the reality is, is that God has put stuff in each one of us. You're strong where I am weak and I'm strong where you are weak. Comparing themselves among themselves. Saul, listen, the first king of Israel was an insecure man. And because of that, because of that, There was a young man that was anointed of God, David, that came on the scene that literally tormented Saul. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And God spoke to Saul and he told Saul, he said, Saul, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice. God spoke to Samuel and told him to Saul, speaking for the Lord, he says, I want you to go and I want you to wait for me. I want you to wait till I come down there and we're going to sacrifice. Don't you, listen. Samuel told Saul, don't you sacrifice until I come. Do you understand me? I'm the priest. I'm the prophet. I'm going to do it. I want you to participate. You are not to do it. The problem was is that Saul was insecure. Let me tell you, insecure people care more about what people think about them than what God thinks about them. Watch what happened with King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible says, and Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw, here it is, the anatomy of insecurity. Here it is. When I saw that the people were scattering from me, there it is. I'm losing control. The people are leaving me. Their opinion of me is not good. And that you did not come within the days appointed. And that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. And then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal. And I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. Everyone say compelled. I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. If you read this whole story out, insecurity actually compelled Saul to disobey God. How insecurity affects each one of us. You guys have known people that introduce themselves by handing out an autobiography or their bio statement. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. They walk in a room, they talk so much about themselves. You're like, time out, time out, man. You want to say this. You want to say to them, hey, time out, time out. Really, really, there are other people important in this room. The fact of the matter of Saul was, he was so self-consumed. He was more worried about what, watch this, what others said about him than what God said about him. He actually disobeyed God. Here's the point. Pastor, why is insecurity so dangerous? Insecurity will cause us to disobey God. Insecurity will, there's a toxicity in the soul. In the internal caverns of our heart, insecurity can drive us and compel us to disobey God. I just got to do this. I don't want anybody. I got to protect. I got to make sure. And Saul was an insecure man. And I want to say this to you. Every single one of us deal with insecurity. I deal with it. You deal with it. But I want to say this in the name of Jesus. You do not have to be tormented by insecurity. You can know who you are in God. You can rejoice in your portion. You can rejoice when others succeed around you. And you don't have to pull others down to make yourself lifted up. You don't have to do it. I'm going to read now what happens. The anatomy of insecurity is building. In Saul's heart, I want to unpack this. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 18, enters David. Enters David. So, so David went out, verse 5, and whenever Saul sent him and behaved, he behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted. Saul was the king. Remember, David was the young warrior. He was the young Israeli warrior that was starting to move up. The Bible says, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servant. And now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing. You know, I, I'm a, a World War II buff, and I, I enjoy reading uh, just history, and I love watching documentaries, whether it's on the History Channel over the years. And I, and I always enjoy watching uh, uh, the, the, the great battles of, of World War II. And what's interesting to me is when those uh, great men and women came home to America, actually even in New Orleans, they had one of these called a ticker tape parade, and the whole city would gather together. And the city would welcome the, the, the men and women that were returning home. And it was exciting, and everybody was welcoming the troops in World War II. A very similar situation. All of the, 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 the Jewish people had gathered around, and, and here comes David. And here comes Saul, and there was a song that was going out. The problem was not the singing. The problem was the content of the song. The problem was not the ladies. The problem is what they were singing in their song. And there is a deep insecurity in Saul, not when he heard the singing, but when he heard the words of the song. Listen to this. The Bible says this. It says, it says, now as that happened, they were coming home and David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. And so when the women sang, they danced and they said, here it is. Here it is. Saul has slain his thousands. That's pretty awesome. He's, saying, he's slain thousands. I mean, Saul, you're a great warrior, man. You, you have a lot to be proud of. You've done a great job, but, but here's the problem. There's a contrast. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Uh-oh. He did better at work than Saul. He outperformed. He outperformed quarterly his, his, his boss. Man, that isn't good. Wait, time out. He, he, he got a better home. Time out. He drives a nicer car. Time out. There's, there's something that David did that Saul didn't do. I mean, Saul did some stuff, but he didn't do it at the level that David did. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Wow. Talk about jump to conclusions. And so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he, and he prophesied inside the house. So David, David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. I want to talk to you about signs of insecurity. What are the signs in our own lives? I want to talk to you, number one, about what insecurity is. 
Number two, how we can identify it in our lives. And number three, how we can, listen, effectively walk with those that are insecure around us. Number one, the first, what I would call symptom of insecurity is good old-fashioned jealousy. Good old-fashioned jealousy. We see the seeds of jealousy in Saul mushrooming and blossoming as Saul hears about David's victories in comparison to him. Saul is slain as thousands, but David, David didn't slay a thousand. It was, it was ten thousands. He did better. I wrote this down. John Dryden, a famous 16th century philosopher, called jealousy the jaundice of the soul. The Song of Solomon says it's cruel as the grave. Others call it a green-eyed monster. It can send some to jail and others to insanity. There's something about jealousy where, 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 where you look at somebody next to you. You look at a sibling. You, you look at somebody at work. You look at another church. You, you look at another group that you're not part of. And, and you begin to evaluate yourself. And you're like, wait a minute, time out, time out. They've got more. They're doing better. They've outshined me. And all of a sudden, on the inside, you begin to feel those feelings. What's going on? You begin to care more about what others think than what God thinks. You begin to rejoice. Listen, you begin to, instead of rejoicing in God's portion for your life, you begin to denigrate the portion in others. Wow. Jealousy. Something that we all have to watch out for. I have to watch out for it. You have to watch out. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insidious, strategic thing from the enemy where the enemy wants to plant seeds in your mind. You begin to look to your neighbor, you look to the person, you look to the right. Saul was a jealous man, number two. The second symptom, what I would call or sign of insecurity, is an, is, a, is an unrelenting anger in the soul of a person. Look at verse five. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. The word anger in this context actually means to, to, to burn under compulsion. In other words, when somebody, Saul was so angry when he looked and he heard about David. He was threatened by David. And there was this embroiled sense of anger. And it just began to bubble up on the inside. And the reason why, watch this, the reason why is because in his mind, David had something that he could take from Saul. I can't allow that to happen. I got to make sure to keep him down. I got to make sure to, to, to just keep him pressed down. And you ever been around anybody like that before? Instead of rejoicing in those who, around you you, you, you strategically dismantle their professional advancement lest it shines upon where you are. Pastors have to watch that. People have to watch that. Businessmen and women, we have to watch that because every time we react that way, every time there's, a, there's an overemphasis with this passion where it's like, what's going on? And it directs against God. God, why have you not? God, when are you going to? God, because of this, have you not? Anger. Saul was a man driven by anger. Number three, an unhealthy self-protection. Look at verse 10. But there was a spear in Saul's hand. Can you imagine this for a moment? I want you all to think about this for a moment. Here's a guy that's walking around his house holding a spear. Can you imagine? I mean, a precious little Domino's pizza person. Just not, and just, and you, and what are you, uh, you come to the door. He's holding a spear. Sorry, you can have it. No tip, no tip, no tip. You got it, no problem, no problem. You talk about somebody, man, walking around their house holding a spear. Well, pastor, I don't walk around my house holding a spear. Well, maybe not a physical spear, but we've got a spear in our tongues. Uh-oh, time out, pastor. Time out, pastor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Boy, we can just listen. We're all good at that. We can just just cut somebody down real quick. Isn't that right? Yeah. You hear about somebody's success, some neighbor, some friend, some sibling, some brother, some sister of yours. And yeah, well, you don't understand. And let me tell you what. And they were given this. And, and because of this, and we can just, man, boy, what is that? It's self-protection. What we're trying to do is we're trying to take the light off of them because they're shining. They're blossoming. They're blooming. Yeah, we all struggle with that. An unhealthy self Protection. Number four, an irrational fear. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man, listen to this. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. Listen to what I wrote down. I want every one of our campuses to hear this. This is what I wrote. The fear of man entangles and entraps us. What was Saul really scared of? It wasn't that he was scared of the individual David. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. It wasn't that he was scared of the individual David. He was afraid of what David could potentially take away from him. That's insecurity. He was afraid of losing his position, his influence, and his kingdom. David represented what Saul could potentially lose. Again, Saul's fear caused him to verbally accuse David of things David had never done. He betrayed him and he attempted to destroy his life. But how did David respond? How did David respond? Say, Pastor, wow, man. Whew. Man, I just feel like, man, this message is so penetrating. But the reality is, I know God's been working in my heart. And maybe that's what you say. Maybe you're here today thinking, you know what, Pastor? I, I know the Lord's been dealing with me. And God is, is trying to drain all that junk out of my heart where I can rejoice in what God's given me. And I'm really learning how to not compare myself, but to, to understand what God's called me to do and God's assignment on my life. But the truth is, I live with, or the truth is, I work with, or the truth is, I live around someone that's insecure. And I got to know how to respond to them. How do I respond to somebody that's insecure? And pastor, the reality is, is that their insecurity has now become really a frontal attack against my life. That's where some of you are. Maybe it's in a family where you've had things said about you and about your personhood, lies that have been made up, things to, to kind of to, to denigrate you and depreciate you and to decimate who you are, your care, just things that have been made up. How do you respond? How do we respond to insecure people? I want to talk to you about that before we close. How do we respond? Number one, how did David respond to Saul? I believe it's somewhat of a template. We see in the life of David, listen, because we can't, we can't escape the world. We can't run away and say, you know what? Man, you guys are nuts. I'm out of here. The reality is, is that you live with, you work with, you're around. We're all around people that are on the, listen, on the continuum of insecurity. Number one. David teaches us that when you are attacked, I, matter of fact, I, I remember as a kid, I would go fishing on this little dock and, 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 and it was interesting. I, we would step and I don't know why it was never fixed. And I don't remember even who owned the dock, but, 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 but there was a certain board and a plank. We'd step on it. It was like as kids, that board got higher and higher and higher and it was dangerous you, because it would, it would come loose and it, would, it was dangerous and it would pop up. And, and, and sometimes we're in a relationship with somebody and we say something and, 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 and all of a sudden the attack comes. Boom, that thing pops up. And you're like, wait, time out. Time out, where'd that come from? Insecurity can cause a viciousness of, a, of an attack. 
Social media, my gosh, you see it today. You're like, oh my, I can't believe they said, I can't believe that. How do we respond when we're attacked by an insecure person? Number one, very first thing that we learn from David's life is don't overreact. Don't overreact. It's very important that we, we not overreact. David already killed a lion. Listen to this. He already killed a lion. He already killed a bear. He already killed Goliath. He could have easily taken out Saul. Matter of fact, he came up behind Saul. Y'all remember that? He came up behind Saul one day. Watch this. And the Bible says he actually cut his kingly skirt. He cut it. He didn't kill him, but he cut it. He shouldn't have done that. He cut it. And he backed off and he was convicted by the Lord. He could have easily taken out Saul. I mean, come on, man. Think of Goliath versus Saul. Think of a bear versus Saul. Think of a lion versus Saul. But David learned a secret. David learned a secret to not overreact. The reality is that all of us have a tendency, there's a proclivity in human nature, myself included, all of us, where we want to defend ourselves. We want to react. We want to get even. We want to get it right. Listen, I'm not advocating being a wimp. I'm not advocating being a victim. I'm not suggesting that we have to continually be a doormat for somebody that's taking advantage. I am not saying that at all. I am saying that we have to be careful that our overreaction emotionally does not incriminate us when somebody attacks us out of their insecurity. That's what I'm saying. We have to be careful that our, let me tell you something. I have been a reactor. Trust me. That's one of the greatest things that I've really had to grow in in my life because I'm fiery, I'm passionate, I'm very competitive, and I've had to realize that when I get popped, I need to make sure to not overreact. David is a wonderful example of this. David knew not to throw spears back. Proverbs 29, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Let God redeem you. Let God protect you. Let the gospel bring assurance to you. Who Christ is, what Christ has done, who you are in Christ. Why does a man or woman react? Because they don't know who they are. They don't know what they have. They they have forgotten God's hand upon their lives. They feel threatened. Listen, they feel that somebody else, let me just say this, and I say this respectfully at all campuses. Your boss is not a lid to your destiny in your life. No man can hold down what God is raising up. Are y'all with me? And I say that so respectfully. Read the book of Genesis. Read Joseph's life. Every time he'd go into prison, God would prosper. Every time he'd go there, God would lift him up. Why? Because God is the one that lifts up and puts down. God is the one whose hand. So when we, when we begin to react, what we're doing is we're empowering their weakness to control us. Do you think as a pastor, I don't have people that say things about me? Now, I don't know why they would. I have a wonderful personality. At least that's what my mom told me. But anyway... Of course it is. Of course people will say things. Man, it's a, and a boy, I tell you, I just, ooh, boy, it'll just, it'll just hit me in the heart sometimes. But I, I've learned to overreact. By the way, we have a rule on staff at Church of the King. Here it is. If anybody sends you anything over social media, you cannot immediately respond. I will assure you, the first responded email that you put back to them is not in the right spirit. Even if you got to write it by hand and throw it away, somebody hits you, you're like, here's the problem. Once you send, once you push send, baby, it's sent. Are you with me? 
It's somewhere. David didn't write that email. David didn't send that text. David didn't make that call. David absorbed it. One of the things that I love, Pastor Randy Craighead, who's been such a mentor to me, one of our pastors on staff, he's much older than me. <laughs> the dude is old. I don't know how old, but anyway, so I'm just joking. But one of the things that Pastor Randy Craighead has taught me is he said, he said, Steve, just absorb that. Just absorb it. Everybody say absorb. Now listen to me, I'm going to qualify. I'm not talking about being a doormat and subjecting yourself to abuse. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying when people attack you, you've got to learn to absorb that, bring that to God and realize that those people cannot limit your influence. Only you can by your reaction or overreaction. Are y'all with me? Number two, the second thing here is this. We've got to learn to keep our heart pure. We've got to keep our heart pure. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence. It's a lot of work. We can keep our yard, we can keep our room clean, we can keep our car clean, but you got to keep your heart clean. You got to keep your heart clean. How do you do that? You watch over it, the Bible says. You allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to cleanse it. For out of your heart springs the issues of life. We've got to guard our heart from anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, that poison that wants to come in and harden your spiritual arteries, how bitterness comes in, missed expectations, things come. By the way, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. What you think about long-term all day long is going to seep down in your heart. It's like a slow percolator. Come on, Folgers Coffee, 1970s. You know what I'm talking about. It's like a slow drip. Whatever you're thinking about, it's dripping down there, baby. I'm telling you, it's dripping in your heart. When you're thinking about that, you're thinking those revenge thoughts. You're thinking those thoughts about that person. It's dripping. Oh, yeah, it's dripping. It's going deep, deep down in your heart. And there's that bitterness and there's that unforgiveness. Pastor, what do I do? How do I keep it clean? Learn to pray. Learn to bless. Learn to give to those that have wronged you. That's why the Bible says learn to pray for them. Everybody say pray. How do you keep your heart clean? Learn to pray for those that have spoken ill of you. Lord, I bless them. Lord, I bless them. I bless them. I pray judgment. I mean, I bless them, God. Lord, flames of fire. I mean, heavenly pillows. I mean, Lord, just lift them, Lord. Hurt them. Lift them. Bless them. Bless them. Come on. Can we get real? We're in church. We got to speak it like we feel it. I mean, right? The fact is, is that sometimes we've got to pray ourselves through and just keep praying and blessing them. Let me tell you something. You consistently pray for somebody that's hurt you and your heart will stay clean. Let me tell you another step. Everybody say pray. pray. Say bless. bless. You really want to get something out of your heart when it gets in there? Go buy a gift for somebody that's hurt you. Go down to Starbucks, get them a $25 card, put it in the mail. Don't pray it becomes a bomb when it gets to their house. Come on, you know. You bless them. Everybody say bless. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in the Beatitudes. Pray for those that have hurt you. Bless them. David blessed Saul. He prayed for Saul. He was the worship leader for Saul. And the guy's trying to throw spears at him. David understood the secret of watching over his heart. I watch, I'm watching over my heart. I'm making sure. And by the way, pastor, how do you know what's in your heart? It comes out in your speech. Well, you're at dinner, but how you just kind of, just slowly, just, ooh, ah, just kind of start, just, just start dealing and just start just dismantling. Yeah, 
Well, you don't know. And after all, and I've worked hard. And those people, and time out, time out, time out. Something is dripping, dripping into your heart. Number one, don't overreact. Number two, let's watch our heart. Let's make sure nothing from our thoughts gets into our heart. Let's reject them at the thought level because once it gets into the heart level, it's tougher to pull the weeds. Let me give you the third and final thing and we'll close. Y'all learn anything today? Here we go. Number three, we've got to continue to honor. Everyone say continue to honor. Yeah. Saul, listen, he was ruthless with David, but David continued to honor and love Saul in spite of how Saul treated him. What that means is he spoke honorably of him. He prayed for him. And when possible, he tried to cover the weakness of Saul. I want to say this again. I want to go on record saying this. I want everybody at all of our campuses to hear what I am saying and what I'm not saying. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to honor someone means that you have to make yourself vulnerable to getting hit with the spear. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that when you honor someone, that you bless them and speak favorably in them in spite of the spear. That's what I'm saying. There's a balance. When you walk in honor and love towards one another, you should believe the best. Pray for the best. Look for practical ways to communicate love. David honored Saul. You know, I've had conversations with people before and it's like the kid whose dad was an alcoholic and he gets mad at his dad. He says, I hate you. I hate you. I'll never be like you. And then 10 years later, you see the kid struggle with the same thing the dad. You, don't, you want to know why? Because the bridge that one curse goes from one generation to the next is the bridge of bitterness. And that's why we have to honor. Find something good about your mom. Find something good about your dad. Honor them. Find something of value. Find something about your boss. Find something about your dad. Find something and bless and speak life and speak blessing over their lives. And as you do, I'm telling you, your heart will stay clean. By the way, not only will your heart stay clean, but any insecurity in you. By the way, one of the greatest books I ever read about this was The Tale of Three Kings. And I'll never forget Gene Edwards in that book. It talked about the th three kings, Saul, first king of Israel, David, second king, Absalom, the son of David. And I remember reading in that book and it said, why did God allow, watch this, why did God allow the Saul to deal with David? Because it was God's will to kill the Saul in David. Yeah. Let's make sure that those that we're leading we rejoice when they prosper. Let's make sure that those around us, listen, that their success doesn't feed an insecurity in us, but we can celebrate them. Great job. God's with you. God's blessing you. Man, we're excited about it. Let's be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Come on, y'all receive that word today. I want you guys to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward right now. We're going to pray, and our worship team's going to come back. And I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to work in each one of our hearts and our lives. And if you do not know Christ, I want to say this at all of our campuses. If you do not know Jesus, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, you can know Christ personally. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads at all of our campuses. I've got two minutes. I want everybody to stand. If you do not know Jesus, if you're not sure if you die today that you're ready to stand before God, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. 
Your wife or husband can't save. Your cousin can't save. Jesus saves. My question is, do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask in just a moment, if you say, Pastor, pray for me, I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. I want to pray for you. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, you know who you are. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. Even throughout the message, God is calling you. God is drawing you. God, the Holy Spirit. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. In just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I need prayer. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you and you and you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you and you. God bless you as well, ma'am. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir, right here. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you up top, buddy. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, ma'am, right there. God bless you, sir. I believe God brought you here today, sir. He loves you and cares about you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you. God bless you right there. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Church, let's pray. Come on, let's just bow our heads right Let's pray with those that are trusting Christ right now. Can we do that? All of us, let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, all of us. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life a new reason to live. Now I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. I want everybody to look at me. Just give me 30 seconds. If you prayed and trusted Christ as your Savior, there's a card uh, right behind your chair. It's called decision card. I'm going to ask you to fill it out. Just listen to me. I'm going to ask you to fill it out. You do one of two things. In Guest Central, at all of our campuses, we've got pastors. Love to meet with you up front as well. By the way, anybody that needs prayer for anything, maybe something in this message today touched your heart. Man, we're here to minister the love and life of Christ to you. Father, bless your people as they go forth this day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence driving out every fear, every insecurity. Lord, may we walk in your favor and your blessing. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said...